0: From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Uptown, near a man off to the left, one-timer, he scores! so power play goal! Jonathan so with his second power play goal of the period. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: on a Wednesday Cofield and Company Ari's here John von will coming up in a little bit some good guest spots along the way some more uh, Raiders chatter about the future season's not over they're five and uh what eight now five and eight yeah there it is it's not over it's not over but we're starting to think about the future Yo, Caleb Herring usually joins us around 3 30 in uh, hour number one at Cofield and Company on Wednesdays but uh Stepped up on short notice because we wanted to spend a little extra time with him today, and Caleb is uh, down the line right now. What's up, buddy?
2: What's up, man? I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. I feel like I'm a part of the company. <laughs> there like, you go. I've, I've always wanted to have this honor, like to be a part of Cofield's company. Well, you m- might have more often. We'll,
1: uh, we'll tell people about that a little <laughs> later. Um, hey, I wanted to get your mood on uh, UNLV basketball first because we're going to talk a little UNLV football and then NFL, but I wanted to get your mood on – UNLV basketball, and where you think the community is in terms of jumping on board because, well, they're unbeaten. It's the first time they've done that at 10-0 since 1991, which Kevin Kruger was quick to point out. Not the same thing, not the same team. Let's not get crazy, right? But he is happy with the the good start. Um, But, you know, at the MGM, the crowd was kind of slow to come out there. Uh, I think in the end they got over 11,000 for uh, Indiana and Arizona, but that was the uh, back end of the doubleheader for Washington State and UNLV. I think there was probably less than 1,000 UNLV fans there. Uh, That has kind of been the case in the past. People, I don't know, they're just weird. They're uh, resistant to going to the other venues if it's not the Thomas & Mack, and even the attendance at the Thomas & Mack has been kind of low. I wonder what happens this weekend. They're going to play a pretty good San Francisco team, and I wonder if there's going to be a big jump up. Like, What's the vibe you're getting around town on the running Rebels because they're fighting such an uphill battle now against all this other competition in town for sports.
2: I think that's the key is that they're really just fighting competition. There's so much other entertainment at your disposal. Um, and then, of course, with college bowl season, I know that's you know this is the early stages of college bowl season, but that's also going to be a problem for Saturday's game. Um, people sometimes just prefer to stay home and watch things on TV. The holiday season, obviously preoccupied with that. So this is a, a tough time for basketball. But I the sense that I'm getting around is people are interested, but they also have a, a hesitance because they are being honest with themselves. Like the, the undefeated start to the season is great, but everybody who's really watching, which is this is a good thing, they're really watching, understands that this team may have some deficiencies. The strength of schedule is somewhat questionable. Um But I have to say people are excited and understand that the brand of basketball that they're playing does lead to success, and that's being a defensive-oriented team. And I think the Washington State, although there wasn't a lot of fans in the arena for the game, there was a lot of people watching it on television, and I got the reaction from coworkers and other people in the community that were like, hey, that defense is something special. I think in the beginning of that uh, that first half of that game, they went on an 18-0 run where it's like just forcing turnover after turnover, live ball turnover. Which made for some exciting fast breaks, some off the backboard lobs and stuff like that. So people are excited about it. I think they're just, honestly, there's just a little bit of hesitance because it's like, okay, are you playing anybody yet? Can, we'll wait and see if you, when you knock off one of these good teams. And obviously, a lot of people are marking that San Diego State game on their calendar to say, like, if things are still going the way that they are by that game, that's when I think the fans will be like, okay, we're in. Let's go. Let's go see what this is all about. Let's be there live in person to check things out. Hopefully that's the case, but I do think there's interest around town uh, with basketball and what they're doing.
1: I'm not so sure. Um,
2: I'll
1: give a little dose of reality here, and I think we'll find out on, say, Friday night. What I'm seeing here is we're getting to a point where the consumer dollar is stretched for sports. Could be in combination with a lot of people get free tickets to everything here in Vegas, so they don't want to pay often, but... The teams that draw here are the Vegas Golden Knights and the Raiders, right? And there's an interesting case coming up. On Friday, I don't know how many people know about this, the market is welcoming uh, welcoming an indoor lacrosse league team. Uh, We did a big promotion at Lotus Broadcasting uh, for a meet and greet with Wayne Gretzky, who's one of the celebrity owners of the team. They're playing their games at the MUA. Ultra Arena over at Mandalay Bay. They're playing this Friday night. Now, you know, coming out of the gates, I would expect Gretzky to be there. He's doing a meet-and-greet with one of our lucky listeners. Uh, Other owners include Dustin Johnson, Steve Nash, Joe Sy, who's also the owner of the Nets. Doors open at 6. There's opening ceremonies at 7.10. They've got a halftime performance by Ka, Cirque du Soleil. But reality is, in this market, Caleb, People don't really go to the other events. Like the Aces grew at the end of the year, but you know early on, I was a I don't know you know say like game eight of the Aces season, and it got a lot better. But there were like fifteen hundred people there on a midweek game. Um, if you if you saw the college basketball tournaments in town, right? There's a bunch of them in town. No one goes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I wonder where we are. Like I think UNLV basketball can bounce back and get some of the fans back and. You know, I would hope if they get through the non-con with two more wins, they'll be twelve and zero, and then they go to San Jose State. They could be thirteen and zero, and then the best game in conference for UNLV is San Diego State here at home. Like I'd like to say they're going to get ten thousand, but I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, I think it's that's a market analysis. I think problem that's that maybe wasn't foreseen when you you know when Vegas set off on becoming the. Sports and entertainment and, and, capital and, and of the you world. There's a downside to it,
1: Caleb. I didn't even name all the teams because let's not even talk about what what the soccer team looked like downtown at the end of the season. I mean, there were hundreds watching those games. It's like so the mark- It's been a, it's There's been a, it's so been much a struggle. Going on. Either 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 people are so used to getting freebies, or they're like, yeah, I just and I'll you know I'll also throw in the G League Ignite. I was watching a game the other night on TV. Hundreds, uh, Silver Knights do well because they they sold some season tickets, so that's one of the outliers. But keep going.
2: Yeah, it's, I think it's the it's the downside of being the entertainment capital of the world is you look at and I just know this off of the top of my head because you know football wise I cover Boise State football has led the conference in average attendance uh, for the last couple seasons with like thirty six thousand a game or something like that somewhere that they're in that ballpark but there's nothing else to do in Boise so it's like that that is a benefit to the football team and their attendance numbers and how many fans they get out at their games but they have very little thought to put into decisions on what they're going to do on a Saturday. It's Boise State football. That's what they do. Saturdays for, you know, UNLV basketball, like what else are you competing against on any given Saturday in this city outside of just, you know, the regular entertainment on the strip? Because there's, you know, Cirque shows going on left and right. There's concerts going on. There's music festivals. That's on, you know, in in, in the fall and during the the critical times of the year. But then on just your normal days, it's like, okay, the Raiders are playing tomorrow. I'll save my money this week for the paycheck for the Raiders game or – or, you know, whatever other sports or entertainment is going on. Right, NFR is in town. Like, there's so much else to compete against. Sometimes your numbers, as far as attendance in your games, is skewed by that. And that, that's – consumers have to make decisions. And Have you looked at the price of chicken these days? Like, consumers are really tight <laughs> yes, with I their have. money these days. Like, yes. it, it's very difficult <laughs> right now to make these financial decisions. Uh, there's a pecking order on it.
1: Speaking of chicken, I uh, one of the road trips I went on recently – I went to a place and they had a chicken sandwich for 1049 and I was like, I'm getting that. Like I was so far. <laughs> I'm just like, value, I don't care. And I'm like, I can't do the $15, oh, $16, $17 chicken sandwich or someplace with a you know, $19 Nashville hot chicken. We've we've it's, that's that's the conclusion of all of this. UNLV yeah. attendance is suffering. The soccer team's attendance is suffering. The Ignite are not drawing anyone, the Aces have had struggles to draw people. Chicken!
2: All comes down to the chicken prices. Gas is down.
1: Is. Gas is down.
2: Chicken's up. Chicken is up, and that is we we realize how much we survive off chicken. Yes. When the price of chicken goes up, because it, we feel it immediately, like ten cents? No, no way. It's unacceptable. Something must be done. Yeah, I've like, got. I've I'm got, waiting for the presidential candidate to to run an election campaign on the price of chicken.
1: I've got. I feel like uh, it's coming.
2: I've got no chicken at
1: home yet. Yesterday I was looking to cook something. I'm like, I'm doing steak. Keeper. (laughs) Popper. Go with the the stake angle. All right, Caleb, stick around. Let's get to a little UNLV football on the way back, and then I want to talk about um, Kyler Murray and his injury and what's going to happen with that coaching staff, that GM. It's a mess in Zona. Today, after unnecessary roughness, it's the Kevin
0: Kruger Radio Show at 5 p.m. on Raider Nation Radio 920 a.m. Yeah, I wanted to um, shout out Coach Odom because he actually texted me Good. A week, a day after he got hired, which I thought was cool, and I don't know him. I don't know how he got my number, but I thought it was cool that he was reaching out to even the small school local coaches. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring, is live right now on Cofield and Company.
1: So that was a cool note at the end of the interview we did yesterday. That was the voice of uh, Nate Oishi who is now a high school coach at Lake Mead Christian. He was a walk-on player out of Hawaii for UNLV with Tony Sanchez. And I thought that was pretty interesting, Caleb. Caleb Herring is with us. That uh, Odom hits the ground, and you just heard the former player say, I don't even know how he got my number, but he hit the ground, and right away he's like, I got to contact everyone in town when it comes to the high schools. What do you think of that?
2: I, I think it's 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 really cool that it was, a, a, I guess, a – a mentioned selling point or a mentioned point of I guess interest that that was going to be something that happened obviously with him knowing and understanding that there was some discussion maybe behind closed doors or in the hiring process is like hey we got to get the community back uh, and then maybe he just you know from who he knows just understood that the recruiting in, in the high schools and locally just wasn't where yep. it should be uh, when you talk about having a university in town and it not being the priority of high school coaches or high school players for that matter and the interest not necessarily being there. I think he wants to rectify that immediately. Also, it, it's interesting. You talk about the conversation with Nate. It's just how the world works. It's a small world. One of my coworkers actually, oh their kid goes to the high school that Nate okay. Koji got, right. And he's like raved about him before. This is earlier this year. And like he's raving about him, like, man, they're really turning things around here. They're doing great. He's asking me all these guys. He's like, do you know these guys? I was like, I didn't play with them, but I know all these guys. This is, this is like a UNLV alumni know, list right now. Um, and, and it was just really cool to, like, hear his success and what's going on, how he's impacting that that program. So it's just awesome. Small world connection there.
1: Yeah, Nate mentioned it yesterday, that, like, seven former UNLV players are on the staff. And so let's tie together, you know, if people don't understand what direction we were going, and when I was talking about the dollar of the consumer and what events are attended here and which ones are not, right? We were talking about UNLV attendance, especially with basketball with a 10-0 team. Let's come full circle here. So clearly – it was an issue for some that Marcus Arroyo didn't get out there and embrace the local high schools. I guess if you think about it, at the most base level, it's smart of Odom to reach out to high schools. It's smart to embrace the high schools, not only because you could get players and build your program, but you're also building support, and that could lead to ticket sales and you know different levels of support aside from just, hey, here's some of our best players.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's that's – really important for community building. I, I've always been kind of perplexed at the fact that a UNLV football team or a college football game wasn't the most widely sought-after thing on a Saturday night. And, again, like you said, it goes to the competition that you're going against. Uh, but as a high school football athlete, um, any athlete for that matter, going to a game in town for your local team should be at the top of your to-do list, like priority-wise. You got 12, six games, really, a season to be at a home game Especially when you throw in the fact that it's a Legion Stadium, it's a it's a it's a pro arena, all of that stuff. It always was kind of weird to me. This goes back to when I was a player that there just wasn't as much community inspiration to go to be there to be a part of the atmosphere, regardless of the team was good or not. I've been a part of communities where going to the team in town was just the the social gathering event. Like we're just going there to meet up and hang out, eat some nachos, not necessarily just to watch the game. But that was kind of missing. And that goes to the building up of the community. So being present on campus as as the head football coach of, the, of that university, where you're trying to draw that crowd, to draw that kind of social, I don't want to call it an obligation, but it really, it really does become sort of that thing. Like, were you at the game on Saturday? If you were not, you feel like you missed out on an event in the community. And it just hasn't been that way for UNLV. So Coach Odom coming off and trying to get that spark, whatever way he can, and um, getting out and meeting those coaches and and getting compliments from those coaches, it goes a long way. I think towards towards injecting that. And we talked about the free ticket giveaways. And and there's two different aspects of of, of having butts in seats. There's one. There's the financial side where obviously people are paying uh, their their price. Then you, you you know it's a financial boost for the university. But then there's also just the spirit of being there that I think you try to spark. And there's a balance you have to strike between those two. Because I think you want to just have people in the seats to make the, the experience better. It's better to come out, you know, when you're a player to a, a full arena than an empty one. It's better to look at TV games and say, you know, we get all these national broadcast games, these CBS games or whatnot, what have you. And it's like we, we come out and you see it on TV. It's like, well, it's empty. That, that doesn't excite potential recruits. That doesn't excite people to be fired up about the program when you can't even get your own community out to the game. So giving out free tickets and, and things like that is a part of it. But also the finance, you can't ignore that either. But I think it's a it's a tough sledding ahead. This is when you go back and talk about UNLV as you know, an enti- as as an entity, as a program, it's much bigger. The issues with UNLV than just who the coach is. It's much bigger than who the starting quarterback is. There's a whole collective sort of arrangement that has to be fixed from the ground up. And I I think they're getting the pieces in place that understand that mission, and and they're hopefully. On the on the way to some better some better results on that front.
1: Well, it started out well with uh, Barry Odom, the new coach, as he seems to be uh, canvassing the market and texting people and uh, trying to get high schools in the fold. That's a good thing. You know, crazy enough, you could actually argue that the two non-COVID years uh, that the Raiders have been here, they've actually done a better job of getting out in the community and embracing high schools. Uh, speaking of getting out in the community, Josh Jacobs has a meet and greet with uh, Raider Nation Radio 920 and Q. Friday, they're going to be at Ford Country in the Valley Automall. That starts at 6 o'clock with a meet and greet. I think it goes until 730, probably beyond that, but Josh Jacobs is there for at least 90 minutes, and there's a food donation opportunity. Uh, The event is uh, helping out Serving Our Kids Foundation. People can drop off boxes of uh, individually wrapped food, items like ramen, beef ravioli, oatmeal, applesauce, granola bars, cookies, and cheese crackers. So Ford Country, Josh Jacobs on the scene, the Raiders running back, Hugh will be there, Valley Automall, Ford Country. What about that point, Caleb, that in some ways the Raiders have actually come in and kind of set a new standard, and VGK did a very good job with it, uh, but the Raiders have actually set a new standard for getting out there, and have really they've really embraced the high schools.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it was interesting to see how that would work out, because Vegas was a transplant team, so how would the community accept them? So I think they had more incentive, if that makes sense, to get out and make sure they hey hey we're a Vegas team. We're not just you know the Oakland Raiders that play in Vegas. We want to make sure we make our stamp in our marketing community. And they did a really good job, like you said. This event is one of those those events where it's like hey the Raiders are out there. They're they're becoming the face sort of uh, of Las Vegas sports. Uh, the Knights, I think, as you know, the child of Vegas being born here. Um, instantly got that community support, so maybe it didn't feel as necessary. And you know UNOV spent so long being the only real sports team um, basketball and football in the in the valley that it was like kind of uh, you know there was no competition. They, they didn't feel like they needed to compete maybe on some fronts and that maybe worked against them. Mm-hmm. But the Raiders came in and instantly were like, hey, we're on a mission to to develop our relationship with this community like we are now the las vegas raiders i know it took a while for fans to to stop saying the oakland raiders even commentators on on the games or or broadcasts were still calling the oakland raiders for that first year but very quickly this community has embraced them as the las vegas raiders where it it seems like a distant memory for at least for las vegas that that they were the oakland raiders and and we've fully embraced them because of how present they were and they see the benefits of it. I, I mean, uh, attendance for them. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but they had uh, some really good kind of the games I've been to. It's been some great fan turnout and that has a lot to do with the season ticket holders and and, and the the the, recent, the secondary market for the, the Raiders tickets. But I think that it, it's a huge show of appreciation for the way that the Raiders came in and handled business with the community at the onset and how they've done so far.
1: Caleb, can you stick around for five more minutes? Because I do want to get to the uh, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray stuff, so uh, stick around. Caleb's coming back with us, uh, former UNLV quarterback, one of the voices of UNLV football, and we'll get the latest update on uh, the injury front because Brock Purdy also, these Thursday games, he's questionable for the game on Thursday. Join Cofield and Company on Thursdays for the
0: live two to five show at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. During all NFL games this season, get seventy-seven cent beers. It's Thursday Night Football at Silver Sevens, Flamingo and Paradise. They're better than they were last year. They're better defensively. They've got more athletes. And Russell Westbrook, we can't say enough about the way he's been playing coming off the bench. But understand that when you look at them, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook continue to be what they're supposed to be, what we anticipated they would be, then what you need is a shooter. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio.
1: We get to a little NBA in just a little bit. John Von along in uh, later this hour. We got Caleb Herring in now. Extended his spot today. He's always on with us on Wednesdays. Former quarterback with UNLV, and of course one of the voices of the Rebels and the uh, host of what uh, will be the I think. Barry Odom coaches show. We'll see if they have maybe a change. I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm sure they're going to have something. All right, Caleb, I want to talk about, first of all, Kyler Murray and the torn ACL. Just devastating. I hate to see injuries like that. Totally sucks. He's young enough that he'll be able to make a recovery. We were trying to do a timetable yesterday, and, you know, the guess is that, hey, he'll be unlikely for the beginning of the season, and then we got into a debate about, well, maybe he will be. I was not on the side of maybe he will be. ACL is still a really serious injury, and it's very unpredictable.
2: Yeah, it is. And how different people respond to it is the biggest thing. There's still no exact signs on what the timetable will be. Um, And you look at Kyler Murray specifically and his his running style. And he always has had sort of like a I don't I don't know if I want to call it bow-legged style of running where he's just the way he runs. There may be more stress than normal on the ACL joint. You know, I'm no doctor. I don't know for sure. Um, But whenever he does come back he will not be the same player. And even if it's just the phantom pain or the, the worry, he will be less likely to try to escape and use his legs, which is probably his most dangerous weapon um, when you're talking about game planning for Kyler Murray. And especially that it was a non-contact injury. He's going to make a plant, which you know we've seen him make cuts like that hundreds of times. Uh, and then it, for it to just give out like that, that's, that's really how you know that there's something structurally that needs to be repaired and rehabbed appropriately. I don't see any need to rush him back. Um, but hopefully his timetable isn't as long and it, it doesn't really take his career all the way off the rails and he's able to get it back.
1: Yeah, whoever the new coach is, and I'll say that's a given, I think. I said it's a given, I think. Yeah. Um, we'll understand that Katamari is part of his future and I'm sure that person will have a five-year deal and they'll be patient enough to wait for him. And honestly, um, I think he needs a lot of work off the field in terms of work habits and you know thought process as a quarterback. Am, am I on the, the right path here? Um, is Bidwell objective enough to say, you know what, we got to move on from Kingsbury?
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think that was was kind of the tone that was set even in the offseason when there was so much going on around, you know, what was the direction of the Cardinals and Kyler Murray's future. Even then, when he was talking about extension and all that kind of stuff, it was like, okay, well, he obviously, Kyler Murray and Kingsbury, don't have the best relationship, working relationship, um, so it was almost like they had a decision to make on who they're going to invest their future in. And obviously what they paid Kyler and getting him set up, it was like, okay, we're going with Kyler. Um, even though that contract was kind of embarrassing for Kyler, But uh, that, or at least the terms, I guess, the, the uh, requirements for film outside of the, the office, those kind of things, that was kind of strange. But I think honestly, especially with the way this season's gone and with the fact that the NFC West was kind of up for grabs based on just how the season's gone, and that the Cardinals, with you know their franchise quarterback and this genius of a coach, supposedly, quote-unquote genius of a coach, was supposed to kind of take the division w- with the opportunity there. And uh, the fact that Kyler Murray has been the bottom half of the NFC West as far as quarterbacks go this year, with Geno being the best quarterback and Jim, Jimmy Garoppolo until the injury and even Purdy right now probably playing the best at quarterback for the NFC. We'll see how his health is. But uh, the fact that the Cardinals are so underachieving this year is, is just, to me, the, the final nail in the coffin for Cliffs Kingberry. What I think was already an experiment to begin with. I mean, his coaching experience, while his resume in college is impressive, no NFL had coaching experience coming in, so you kind of didn't know how it would go. And I think dealing with Kyler Murray's personality was probably a, one of the toughest tasks for him and trying to get that relationship right because it's so important he's failed on that front. And I think this is, this is the right time to make that decision about the next coach of the future and obviously, Kyler Murray's relationship with that coach will be huge because um, Kyler's going to be there um, when he gets back from the end. He's going to be what you build the franchise around. You have to have a coach that's a on board with that, and to some extent, copacetic with the relationship off the field with Kyler Murray because that—that's all you got right now if you're the Cardinals.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you. I mean, you, you play the position, you know all the the thinking and the prep that goes into it, and I think you're you're probably more nuanced and you ever were as a player, you know, and the way you look at the game, and it's the way all quarterbacks really need to look at the game. The next coach for Kyler Murray, does it need to be some young offensive guru? I don't know. It doesn't even have to be young, but like a Pep Hamilton or Ben Johnson the uh, or Shane Steichen, um, you know, OCs around the league, or do you, does Kyler Murray need a disciplinarian a kick in the pants and get, you know, old-school freaking fire and brimstone guys the next coach?
2: I don't think that will work, the latter of those, the <laughs> yeah, old school. Yeah. Yeah, he's, <laughs> Kyler is who he is. He's, he's a personality in terms of um, I I think that's more of a Kyler personality problem than it is whoever coaches him because I think he's going to be that regardless. And until he kind of tapers that in a little bit, um, puts himself second sometimes, if that makes sense to the team, uh, I, I don't see – that's a maturity issue for Kyler. I think the new coach needs to be somebody that Kyler respects. And that can come in different forms. It's a matter of making that match. It can be an up-and-coming guy, and Shane Steichen obviously is one of those guys that pops out as the guy that has everybody's respect across the NFL world right now with what he's doing in Philadelphia. Um, so a respected name can come in many different forms. But Kyler has to make the decision to, to respect them, and that's why I, you know it's, it's very tough to to pin this all on a coach. Uh, it's the nature of the business. I get it. But when the the best player and the the, the declared future of the franchise is the source of tension, is a source of conflict, is arguing and yelling at the coach on the sideline, or you have doubt about his commitment to the team in the offseason, et cetera, et cetera, that becomes a headache for any coach, regardless. You can bring Bill Belichick in there, and something's got to give. Either Bill bends his ways and, and lets Kyler lose a little bit, or Kyler submits to the Belichick way. And That's just an example. I don't, I don't think Belichick's in the running for that Cardinal shot, but that's an example of how, I think, how stubborn from the outside looking in, I've Seen that Kyler Murray's personality is off the field and why that maybe won't work with a lot of coaches. It's going to be a tough find to find the match made in heaven to make that work, um, and a lot of it's going to be on Kyler and how much he's willing to adjust and, and budge on his personal uh, stubbornness and and what he's you know the kind of off the field distraction he's become at times for a franchise that's trying to figure it out. Oh boy,
1: Cardinals drama continues. I hope the guy's okay, but uh, just came across in the last five minutes the GM Steve Keim. Has a health issue. He's taking a leave of absence. So, boy, the Cardinals—they got a lot to uh, to sort through and and fix. Last one, Caleb. So, let's assume Brock Purdy is going to be the quarterback the rest of the way if healthy. He's questionable for tomorrow night's game. Josh Johnson, well-traveled. Josh Johnson is the backup. But with Purdy, you got to see him last year in college. You know, you saw him against uh, UNLV and with Iowa State.
2: Can they win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I think, you know, talking about Brock Purdy, he, he, there was a couple years ago, 2019, he had a fantastic season at Iowa State. And there was people, not a lot, but there was people in the Iowa State community that were saying that he had a shot, an outside shot at being the Heisman winner um, in the 2021 season when that thing started. And Brees Hall kind of came over and took over the, the offense and got a lot of the stats and accolades. And he kind of faded to the distance. But he had a a, a really good college career. And the confidence that he brings and the understanding of how to play the game the right way, and I think quarterback the right way, um, is something that you, you can you can win with. You can go uh, and, and be special with that. Now, that means you'd have to have a good team around him, obviously. And, you know, if you look down the list of Super Bowl winning teams, you know, there's only a few that really didn't have a great quarterback. You talk about the Philadelphia team that won it not too long ago. Go back to the 2000 year with the Ravens you probably couldn't tell me who the quarterback of that team was unless you're a real astute student of football, but you can do it. Now the avenue that most teams have taken is to invest heavily in quarterbacking. And that's because what the quarterback is, is the great eraser of the mistakes. You know, the third and 15 great quarterbacks can convert when they need to, you're down 14 points, great quarterbacks, you trust them to bring you back. And look at Patrick Mahone's playoff run uh, when they won the Super Bowl. they trailed in every game. And that's what you want great quarterbacks to do is to overcome those things. Now, if you have a great football team, you never trail. You're never behind. You're never in third and 15 because you're disciplined. You're staying ahead of the change, things like that. I think the Niners have a chance to be that, um, but do they cater their style of play to having an average quarterback or a good, solid quarterback? This team, the Niners this year, have experienced being that before. They did it with Jimmy Garoppolo almost two times, getting to the top of the mountain and just not being able to finish. With that experience, with the added uh, you know, talent of Christian McCaffrey, and a healthy defense, I think the Niners could very well get to the Super Bowl, potentially win it with Brock Purdy um at the starting quarterback. And that's just the way I look at the game of football. I think too many teams have spent way too much investing in the quarterback being the focal point that everything else around them isn't up to par. And if the quarterback's not playing well, the team doesn't succeed. I don't think the Niners are in that position. They can succeed with average quarterback play, and they've proven it in seasons past. I'm a sucker. So first, I wonder what Purdy is
1: worth to a point spread when we really don't have much information on him versus Josh Johnson. I would say nothing, uh, that there is really no difference. Uh, That number dropped a half point, at least from the last time I saw it, and maybe it was bet down there. But right now the Seahawks are plus three even. And keep in mind, no Debo Samuel, which is already built into the number when it was sitting at three and a half. You're not a, a big better. Who would you bet in that game tomorrow?
2: I would bet <laughs> – I would bet I would bet the Niners. I would bet the Niners. I, I think Geno Smith's had a great year, but I think this is the point of the season where things are getting tighter. Defenses are figuring him out as a passer, and what the the scheme now is, you know, the Seahawks, keep in mind, they had Russell Wilson for so long that he kind of had the game plan against the Seahawks offense. This is the first time you've really looked at them and said, oh, who's the guy at quarterback? What are they trying to do? Now I think teams are figuring Geno out a little bit, and the Niners' defense is as good as they get in the NFC. Um, so I would trust that aspect of it uh, more than anything and say it's, it's more about what the Niners do have available uh, than it is about what, what's going to be out. And I think they've shown that they can win in, in, in ugly games, in ugly fashion with their defense, holding people under 10 points to, to pull out a win. So I, I see that being the case. And I right now, out of the NFC West, I trust the Niners more than I trust anybody. Uh, so I would say even with the injuries, I would say I would take the Niners if I was a bet man.
1: Caleb, you're awesome, man. I appreciate you stepping up, doing a longer spot today, and I'll uh, see you tomorrow. Absolutely, man. No problem. Anytime.
2: There is. Caleb
1: Herring. Don't say that. You might be on five days a week. Caleb Herring, former quarterback with the uh, UNLV Rebels, one of the voices of the Rebels, and uh, excellent on football in general. Let's do a giveaway right now. Two sets of tickets, five-finger death punch, and Brantley Gilbert, this Saturday at the Mua Mick Ultra Arena. You can grab your own tickets at ticketmaster.com. Really good show, very popular show. Not easy tickets to get, but we've got a pair right now. Call 364 seven and 8, 364-1100, 364-1100 to go check out five finger death punch.
0: Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All-Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All-Access on Twitter.
1: Shout out to Correa, right? He did some great things, obviously, in Houston. I was real shocked yeah. when he went to Minnesota, you know, especially mm-hmm. on the, the one year I thought, why in the world is he going to Minnesota? Well, as you mentioned, bat on himself. He parlayed it into a hell of a contract with the Giants, and uh, the Giants, they swung for the fences trying to get Aaron Judge. They didn't get him. But not a bad consolation prize, as you mentioned earlier, to get Carlos Correa. Mm-hmm. He's a hell of a talent.
0: Now back to Colefield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. studio.
1: So that was our guy, uh, Q Myers, doing uh, ESPN National with uh, Freddie Coleman from Freddie and Fitz. We'll get to Carlos Correa here in a couple of minutes. That was a big deal. 13-year deal for $350 million. We got a ton of giveaways today. Very generous for the holidays. Our uh, promotions department is. Our boss is here at Lotus Broadcasting. So we've got the Las Vegas Bowl coming up on saturday it's an earlier start so get up a little early you know go park go tailgate should be a good time should be a good game i think Florida is gonna fight like hell against oregon state a big favorite i think it'll be a pretty tight game should be a good gator contingent there and we know thousands and thousands of oregon state fans are going to show up just from a region standpoint and an excitement standpoint you know every bowl game is kind of built differently you have some teams that may make a bowl game where they're like, yeah, this wasn't exactly the game we thought we'd make. We wanted to make a much better game. So, you know, it was a little underwhelming for Florida, but they're saved by the fact that they don't have to go to some hell hole like Boise. Nothing against Boise. Um, They get to come to Vegas, right? So that saves it for them. But for Oregon State, they really haven't gone bowling a whole lot recently, and they're absolutely feeling good about the program and on the upswing. And you got the Pac-12 ties. So... Should be a good crowd from Oregon State. I think this is going to be a, a very tough ticket to get. You know, I just noticed watching some local news, and I haven't been in the stadium this week, but I saw a video and there's something very fascinating on that video. Now, keep in mind, Las Vegas Bowl. It's starting at 1130. That was not the original plan. Because remember, last year they tried New Year's week. It didn't work out that well. The attendance was just okay, but doing a game right before New Year's, unless you're playing for a spot in the national title game, like they're going to be doing on New Year's Eve with the Final Four of the CFP, it's tough right after Christmas. And then how do you manage Christmas? Getting ready for the game. So if you're playing on last year's game, it was what? The 30th. So the crowd was okay. It was not great. Didn't work out as well as they wanted it to. So Las Vegas Bowl decided to back it up. Let's do something different, right? Let's come out of the gates as one of the best bowl games as bowl season's kicking off. And try to capture that TV market. So the original plan was, Hey, December 17th, there's five or six games, but, you know, the big game of the day is going to be SEC against Pac-12 in Eastern time zone primetime, 4.30 start here, 7.30 kickoff in the East. Well, then we've got the issue with the NFL slash Raiders at our stadium. And making the changeover from the turf to the grass, which over time has appeared to become a Herculean effort that needs to be put in to convert the stadium. Now, I remember back when we were negotiating over how much money was going to go into the stadium from the public with the hotel taxes that, hey, you know what, they're going to have two trays, you don't want the teams, you know, you don't want UNLV and Saturday games or Friday games playing on the same field as the grass surface the Raiders are going to play on. And that makes sense because we saw when they tried to do it, they got, you know, into a pickle where uh, UNLV decided to move their game back a week. Raiders had the uh, preseason game the next day with the Patriots and the field got chopped up, right? UNLV played on the grass, Raiders, Patriot, or was it vice versa, whatever it was? It, it got chopped up, right? Might have been vice versa, but it got chopped up. You can't, you can't play too. You, then you're Heinz Field, you know, or uh, you know, at times uh, it's it, Heinz Field's the best example where you're trying to play whatever it's called now. Um, you're trying to play Pit Panthers and Steelers back to back days. The grass looks like hell. Shouldn't be as challenging in the desert, but there's a challenge to it. So anyway, so we were pitched, hey, you know what? The 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 conversion of the stadium, you know, easy peasy. There's going to be, you know, you're going to need a little bit of time. Well, over time that allotted amount that they need has seemed to grown and grown and grown. Like, can you turn around the stadium in 12 hours? No. You know, 15. No. 18. No. I mean, there are times it seems like you need 36 hours to turn around the stadium. So long story short, Las Vegas Bowl waited until the 11th hour, you know, thinking, hey, we can do this game at 430. They actually got cooperation from the SEC because the SEC at first is like, we're not playing day games. If we're going to be on the 17th and we're going to be part of this bowl game with the SEC and the, uh, and the Pac-12 every other year, prime time. Okay, we're not, doing, we're not doing day games. So when it appeared that the, the Raider situation could get a bit dicey, you know, with snuff, Sunday Night Football potentially being moved back and flexed out to 105 or 125, all of a sudden that time crunch, you know, if you play at 430, what do they get to, you know, start moving the stadium around at 10 o'clock at night? Uh, Ten o'clock. Eh, well, all of a sudden, you're looking at what about 14 hours? Can't do it. Can't do it. So when they actually did the flex, the NFL kind of screwed us as a market because you want the game, you want as many Raiders primetime games. You get, you know, those great pictures, ISO game, the stadium. And you want that at night on Sunday Night Football. They flexed them. So now we got Patriots and Raiders going down at 105. And that was when we found out, you know, a couple weeks ago now, not even a couple weeks ago, last week that well, we're going to have a midday game. It's going to be at 11:30. So, but one thing that is very interesting. If you notice for all the UNLV games, the south end zone, there's, you know, seating that gets pulled out. Yeah, you know, like a high school gym, you got to pull out the seats, right? I think that's how it goes. I don't know if they have them stored somewhere. But anyway, it appears like the seats are folded in. So for UNLV games, you you don't have all those end zone seats, which is a little less cozy, right? You'd want like a student section right there on the field. So when I cover the games, it's a big concrete area. You're walking behind the end zone. It's nice for me, right? There's, you know, fans aren't right on top of you. Although, you know, when I went to, say, a new stadium like Snapdragon in San Diego, if their fans actually showed up for the Aztecs games, which they didn't really turn out, for that game, but the fans are, like, right on top of you. Uh, Same at Notre Dame. Fans are right on top of you. That's really cool as a home field environment. So they never pulled those seats out for UNLV games. And when I just saw the video of the stadium, there's a gigantic banner in the south end zone that says SRS distribution, Las Vegas Bowl. They're not pulling out those seats, which I think takes away from the environment. I cannot believe they move the game back, and there's still not enough time to convert the stadium from the, the, the turf tray to the grass tray and pull the stands. Like, how long does that take? So anyway, long story short, as I say it for a second time, because it was a long story, the Las Vegas Bowl tickets are going to be a little bit difficult to get because you're losing a significant number of seats in the end zone. So here we are for you. 364-1100, 364-1100. Caller 7, here is a four-pack, and we'll probably have a few more of these throughout the week, but it's going to – free tickets are going to be hard to come by, and the uh, stadium will probably only be configured for like $52,000, 53000 plus the luxury boxes. So Ari's got your tickets. Caller 7, Las Vegas Bowl. Las Vegas Bowl. It's Florida. It's Oregon State. You can grab uh, your tickets at uh, axs.com. Coming up on the 17th this Saturday, 1130 start. 364-1100, 364-1100. Ari's got the hookup for a four-pack of tickets to this weekend's Las Vegas Bowl.